no one is, 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 is more locked in. From Thursday to Monday, no one is more locked into the NFL than First and Pod. Hosted by Danny Parkins and Andrew Filipponi. All right, thanks for being with us. You know the drill, First and Pod. Normally, myself, Danny Parkins, and Andrew Filipponi. Pony will be back Sunday night after Bears, Chargers, Tyson, Bajant, Mania. We'll get to it. Uh, every team, every game, every week. Our guy, Mike Meltzer, kind enough to join us once again. Mike, uh, we're coming to you after Bucks and Bills, the game that took forever to end. Great Hail Mary at the end. Felt like this was a must win, borderline must win for the Bills. And they held on and did the job. Your biggest takeaway was what, sir? My biggest takeaway was that the Bills are at their best when they get their secondary receivers involved. I know that's not like a super sexy opinion, but it's something that really hit me tonight in reflecting on the last couple of years. Like we know that Diggs is obviously their best player, but when they get, you know, Shakir had by far his best game. I think he had like a couple catches coming in. He had six for 92, but Gabe Davis with a touchdown, 87 yards, nine catches. When they can get guys who are not Stefan Diggs involved, and that obviously includes Dalton Kincaid, I think that's that I think that's when their offense is at its apex when they get those other guys involved. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit uh with that point that Jason Garrett made last week that you know they ran 65 plays, uh 11 rushing attempts, 41 pass attempts for Josh Allen, like he was the entirety of the offense. So they need they need something else other than Allen and Diggs. And, you know, early it just feel, felt like it was going to be a route. Their pass rush was really disrupting Baker. Um, and at times their defenses looked good this year. Such a damn tough league to, to figure out. There's a hundred examples of it. But they can blow out Miami and then lose to New England and then be in control basically for all of this game, but then not be able to put it away, make dumb defensive penalties late. Tampa drives down the field, that 17-play, like, marathon drive. And then, what a weird ending, man. If Chris Godwin finds the ball in the sky, he easily could have caught that Hail Mary pass. Like, they they all, having said all those nice things about Buffalo, yes. they easily could have lost that game. Yeah, and, and that finish, like, the last, I would say, three minutes is an indication of why this might be just an above-average team versus one of the top teams in football, kind of a microcosm. I mean, Danny... Fourth and 10 with a few minutes to go on the plus side of the two-minute warning. I think I think it was Jordan Phillips. I'm not sure exactly. I'll, I'll double-check it. But they have Baker dead to rights. Like, he is wrapped up in the arms of yep. the defender, and then he just decides at the end to grab Baker's face mask. All he has to do is just do nothing. Just hold on to him, and the game will end. And that happened, and then they allowed some receptions towards the end. And they also are in a situation where, you know, Von Miller goes off sides, which allows the Hail Mary to even be possible. Like, that's not the way they finish is not how a team that is trying to compete for a Super Bowl wants to finish a game like this that they desperately had to have. Yep. And I mean, and Josh Allen does Josh Allen things early, right? I mean, he had the turnover, he had some deflected passes, but then he had some incredible plays as well. You know, he's a. It feels like feel- every quarterback behind Mahomes, and maybe maybe not Burrow when healthy, uh, has question marks. Yes. So- Although I know I know he went in the, in the tent during the first half. Did you feel like he looked healthy tonight? Because I thought he did. Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, after the hit, he seemed to be like a little staggered, uh, you know, a little little gimpy, and then he went in the tent, and then he came back, but. Uh, for the most, certainly started healthy, and then I thought looked healthy for the second half. Yeah, and because your, I mean, your your point, you're right. I, I don't want to cut you off, but yeah, like the Josh Allen parts of what we see, like when he's running like a gazelle for first downs and just yeah. imposing his athleticism on those plays. You're like, this is Josh Allen, but it's not always, you know, a hundred percent consistently there. I don't know if I should blame him on the, on the interception because. It was deflected by Winfield, yep. um, but it's like the only reason why Tampa got back in the game to begin with after being down 10 nothing in the game. Yeah, and then, you know, for Tampa, they're they're going to they're gonna hang around in that division all year. Baker yep. could not have been more wrong 
about what that team was going to be. They're they're not great, but I thought they were going to be bottom five bad. They they'll they'll play relevant football games in December. I think so. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that. No Vita Vea tonight. Um, Evans is still crazy productive. It's going to be weird to see him in another jersey uh, next year. One of the things that I think that is going to be a big key to this show and the Sunday show where Pony will be back is there's no teams on by this week. Yes. And it's the, it's the <laughs> last game before the trade deadline. And it's a weird thing. Like teams have to make buy sell decisions often on the result of just a game or two. So we'll talk about that a lot as we go through the games uh, just quickly on these teams. I don't see Tampa buying, but I absolutely could see Buffalo buying. What about you? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you're Tampa, you're in a situation where you are in much more of a reload than anything else. You have a negative point differential. You've lost three games in a row. Now uh, you're going to be competitive because of your talent and the division, but this is no time to buy. And then Buffalo is in sort of the opposite position where you're going to be competing with Miami for the division. Um, I don't know where you stand as far as the window being open, closed. It's, it's certainly not as open as it was two years ago, but Buffalo has right now, like this might surprise people. They have the best point differential in the AFC. Yeah. I mean, I have been pushing back since the preview, the AFC preview pod. I don't think their window is closed. I don't and think, I, don't, yeah. I don't even really think it's closing because I think that you're going to be hard-pressed to make a list of quarterbacks better than Josh Allen be five deep. You know, and, I, and Rodgers is 40. The Patriots are a disaster. And, you know, them and the Dolphins will be competitive in that division for the next few years. So I, I, I think that they're still squarely in their window, even if they have taken a half step back. This yeah, year. I'm, I'm, a, I'm clearly in the minority on that. With I, I could see the Bills making a move for, for somebody given their position and, and given that there's been a, a bit of a backslide as a team overall in each of the last, I would say, two seasons. Yes. Like I, I wouldn't, you know, we'll talk about some of the names, but I wouldn't be surprised. Big offensive player or defensive player uh, for Buffalo. Okay. All right, let's get to the games, and we, we'll try to go a little quicker just given that there's no teams on by, like we said, so we got a lot to get to here. Uh, Cincy and San Francisco, a uh, ton of ways we can go with this game. Clearly the best matchup for the Sunday slate. How crazy do you think the analysis will get if Sam Darnold has to play and then he outplays Brock Purdy? So when you say crazy, like, are we going to be hearing people say that Sam Darnold should start or more just, hey, this is proof that Brock Purdy isn't that good and this is just a Kyle Shanahan masterpiece. And that's what this is really about. Correct. I think the latter. I think it will go from, uh, wow, Purdy is only 10 to 1 to win the MVP to McCaffrey, Trent Williams, and Debo in some combination for a couple of games were hurt. And then Purdy looked very, very vulnerable, had bad fourth quarters in back to back games to, hey, damn, remember Sam Darnold? That was a top 10 pick. That's a that's a real talent in a great situation. You could plug and play anybody, you know. Like so, I I just even though we've seen Nick Mullins there, and not everybody's been great, yeah. but I just I I think that it's gonna. I think Brock Purdy's gonna catch a lot of strays if Darnold ends up beating the Bengals coming off a bye in this spot. I I believe you're right. I'm really interested to see, and I'm assuming it's Darnold because obviously Purdy's in the concussion protocol, which typically means you're out at least the game. With Darnold, you know, some people, a lot of people actually nationally had this idea that the Jets like ruined Sam Darnold, which I thought was ludicrous if you actually watched him play there. And that was born out in Carolina, who gave up too much for him. Uh, but it's interesting, Danny. Remember, they signed him like the first or second day of free agency back in March. And he very quickly won the backup quarterback job in a way that it seemed like there was no competition between him and Trey Lance, who had all of that. And you guys were obviously all over that story. All of that invested. And Sam Darnold was like the guy as the backup from the day that he signed. He's talented. He's got a good arm. I think he has issues with, you know, processing, with dealing with the pass rush, those sort of things, which is why he was not successful in New York nor Carolina. But this is the ultimate test of like an objectively pretty talented passer who has struggled a lot in his NFL career 
matched up with maybe the best play caller in the NFL. This feels to me like a fascinating science experiment against a good to very good team. Yeah, I can't wait for it. And then on the Bengals side, it's not must win because it's an NFC game on the road against arguably the best team in the NFL when healthy, even though they're not healthy. But Buffalo at Baltimore, Pittsburgh at Jacksonville, at Pittsburgh, at Kansas City, Cleveland. Like they, they have a brutal schedule the rest of the way. They're three and three. They're coming off a bye. This should be the healthiest they've been all year. And if you're going to get San Francisco, getting them when some of their all-pro players are hurt, it's the perfect time to get them. And the AFC North is very good. Pittsburgh somehow has a winning record. The yep. Ravens are a legit Super Bowl contender. Like This is a bigger game for Cincy than it is San Francisco. I know he had all that time in training camp to, I guess, ostensibly get better with the calf. But I got to see Burrow look healthier on Sunday than he has all season. You know, they kind of stabilized things. They got the back-to-back wins. Other the win against Seattle was especially critical the way that game went. You had the bye. You kind of reset. You have Burrow some time off. I, I need to see that calf look substantially better in this game because you're right. This is a great opportunity for them. With those two wins in a row, you're facing uh, San Francisco coming off of the two losses, even though they got some bad breaks. No Purdy. I'm maybe no Debo Samuel in this one. Uh, I looked at this one more about what does Cincinnati bring to the table and how close are they to the team that we saw in each of the last two years? I need to so see Burrow like, look better. Yeah, I hope he does. Um, for the next game, I debated like five different games to put second on the rundown. I settled on this one. I settled on Seattle, Cleveland, just because two, four, and two teams. The home team is a three, three and a half point favorite. Feels like the closest like coin flip matchup between good teams this week, even though it's weird with Cleveland having the backup quarterback and it's another AFC NFC matchup. But straight up question, who you got? I've got Seattle because I can't pick PJ Walker going to the Pacific Northwest and getting a win. I, I'm going to answer it very simply in like 15 seconds. I can't pick PJ Walker to win that game in Seattle. Okay, so we're we're the same. I'm a big Geno believer. Uh, I'm waiting for their offense. You know, they had 37 against Detroit, and then they've had these injuries. Uh, and they still have some. You know, Lockett hasn't practiced. Yep. Again, you know, we're recording on a Thursday night. We'll see. But Lockett, Kenneth Walker has missed practice as well. So they still have some issues. And they're going up against, like, so what, what do I want to make of Cleveland? When they beat San Francisco and then they play a 39-38 game to the Colts and they were the number one defense in the NFL before they played Gardner Minshew and there was a game with four turnovers and it was still 39-38. Like, I want I I don't think they're the best defense if you play a 39-38 game against Gardner Minshew. I can't I can't give that to Cleveland anymore. Yes. Even if Miles Garrett deserves a ton of love and they've got defensive stars all over the field. Uh, and Seattle is banged up, but like I, I still feel like better quarterback, home field advantage, studs on offense, and now I've got real questions about the strength of Cleveland with their defense. Even if that is recency bias and maybe an outlier performance, if you told me that Cle- like if Cleveland held uh, Indy to seventeen last week, I think I'd pick Cleveland because of the Seattle injuries. But that game really, really threw me. Uh, with how it went. So I, I'm picking Seattle. Yeah, I for me, I'm picking Seattle for slightly different reasons. It, it almost feels to me, Danny, like Cleveland is having like two seasons at once. There's the actual season they're having on the field. Defense has been largely, except for last week, fantastic. Stefanski, I think, has done a fairly nice job coaching. They're four and two. Like they're winning some of these games that they typically would not win. I would say, including the last two weeks, maybe they got lucky on the Moody field goal, fine, but they were in the game against San Francisco and they got a couple of their guys hurt. Like there's the season they're having on the field and then interspersed with that is <laughs> this, like, I don't even know how to explain uh, this Deshaun Watson situation, which you and I have talked about. And, you know, Mike Florio wrote a story about how 
there the headline was that there are strange vibes that continue between the Browns and Deshaun Watson. I read the whole story. I couldn't really figure out what the strange vibes actually were. Uh, I I just it, 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 it's hard for me to reconcile because they haven't put him on IR. I do not think he is healthy. We talked about it last week. This is a guy, no matter what you think of him as a human being off the field, all of it. This is a guy who has played through significant pain in the past in college and the NFL. We all saw him on Sunday. That is a guy who did not look healthy whatsoever. I, I feel like this rotator cuff, this shoulder deal is like a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And I, I think they are in kind of a similar situation as the Jets are, except PJ Walker is like Zach Wilson. And Deshaun Watson will return at some point. That, that's how I feel about Cleveland. I think it'd be listen. I, I you know very far from being a professional athlete, but it seems like it would be very difficult to heal a shoulder injury in season while playing. That just doesn't strike me as the type of thing that you can do, especially so, if you come back too early, which he admitted he did. Yeah, I mean, Danny, uh, Danny, I, I should, I should make make this point. I don't know if I made it Sunday. I think he played that game on Sunday because of the media criticism. Yeah, you did. You did say that on Sunday. It's an impossible point to dispute. I saw he came out and said this or week. He's like, <laughs> "I've been trying to come back for two years, and now you guys think I don't want to play football. Like, where, yeah. where, where would you get that from?" Uh, so I don't. I don't buy it. I think that there was poor messaging from the team. Like, the, I think the only weird thing about this is that the report came out that he was cleared to play, and then he didn't. And then I think Stefanski said after Sunday that Watson would play in this game, although that might have been just kind of like a wishful thinking thing. Yeah. He's handled it in a very weird way. Like if Cleveland won this game to get to five and two, I'd be very impressed making that kind of road trip with PJ Walker and winning against a viable Seattle team. I'd be pretty surprised. I agree. Uh, I also, like I said, I something about this game that makes me think it's an over. The 38 is giving the Browns D a lot of respect that I'm not sure they fully deserve anymore. Um, Rams, Cowboys. Do you consider Dallas a Super Bowl contender as we sit here today? I do. The coach terrifies me more than I worry about Dak Prescott. I think the team, I understand they played the Jets and the Giants the first two weeks of the season, and they haven't quite looked the same. Correct. But I think I, I think that's in them. I think they have a ton of talent on defense. And I think when they play their A game, when Parsons is going crazy, they can get their receivers involved. When Dak plays more like he did against the LA Chargers than, let's say, the Cardinals or the 49ers game. Yeah, I think this team has a shot despite the horrible, horrible postseason history. I worry about the Trevon Diggs injury. Uh, I worry about McCarthy getting too much in love with the running game. But yes, I would combine, Danny, the Cowboys' talents plus a brutal Eagles schedule moving forward here. Yes, I think they, they are a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I think that like I'm pretty anti-McCarthy, have been for a long time. That's a huge issue. You touched on it. The Diggs injury is big. They clearly have the talent. Um. I think they're going to make a big ad. Hmm. I think I, I could see them, uh, you know, I don't think Daniel Hunter is going to get traded anymore. Uh, I don't think that Washington would trade Chase Young in division. But I could see them maybe then going for Marquise Hollywood Brown. I could see them going for Derrick Henry. Like, I just, there's I saw some- the Henry rumors, yeah. I could, I, there's just, there's something about like, okay, they lost a corner. Where can they try to like add to a strength and make themselves elite? And Henry and Pollard as like a thunder and lightning situation. I just, that makes a lot of sense. And Tennessee's clearly looking to unload. And we know that that's the type of thing that Jerry Jones would do. And then if it catapulted them, he would love to be able to take the credit to say that he greenlit a controversial, aggressive <laughs> trade. So I don't, I don't consider them one right now, but I like, but they're like right on the cusp. And I just, I have a feeling that they're going to make an aggressive, splashy move because of the vulnerabilities of Philly 
and San Francisco and just the NFL overall, where it doesn't feel like there's a truly great team, certainly in the NFC. Is there more pressure on Dallas given that a year and a half ago, the Mavs made the West finals. Now the Rangers made the world series. (laughs) Like when Jerry does the radio interview, I think he literally did it Tuesday morning after the Rangers won the, uh, won the American league pennant. I feel like there's now, especially with the way that, because obviously like the Cowboys are by far the biggest franchise, Little extra pressure given the success of the other teams in I like the Metroplex. It. I like it. I I I feel like Jerry doesn't consider his competition the Metroplex. Yeah, and he considers it like Arsenal and Manchester United and the world. <laughs> yeah, but uh, if such if he is like locked into the ticket in Dallas to see like and like counting minutes on how much airtime is going away from the Cowboys then yeah, he'll maybe try to steal some headlines during the World Series. I like the theory. Minnesota Green Bay, do you believe that with that win over the Niners, the Vikings have gone from sellers to buyers? I do not because I think that, I'm going to probably mispronounce his name, but the brain trust in Minnesota, Kwesi Adafo Mensa, and then Kevin O'Connell, the head coach, I think they're embarked on sort of a not a long-term rebuild, obviously, but I think they want to, with the Dalvin Cook release, some of the things that they, they've done, I think they want to kind of shift the roster underneath them as they're trying to compete ostensibly. So I don't think they're going to be buyers, but I think Minnesota, Danny, is somewhere between the team that won a trillion one-score games last season to the team that the whole analytics community demolished heading into this season. And I think we've seen that uh, the last couple of weeks. Like, Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, right? Yes. I mean, now he is not a great quarterback. He's not a very good quarterback. He is a good quarterback with some weaknesses. And I don't think because of where they are organizationally, they're going to invest in this season enough to be a buyer. Uh, but that is a team that I think is going to be a little bit more viable uh, down the stretch with what they've done. The last, I, like, I think O'Connell is a pretty good coach. From what I can, from my eye, I think that dude is a pretty good coach with, with what he does with their schemes offensively. Okay, so you and I are basically identical. I think that they are not going to buy, but I also don't think they're going to sell. And I think they absolutely planned on being sellers. Yes, but, I agree with that. But yeah. they, but when they beat San Francisco, dude, they have a legitimate chance to rattle off eight wins in a row. Which will not happen, but you bring up a good point. Go ahead. But I mean, but like, so they're they're three and four in Green Bay, in Atlanta, home against New Orleans, in Denver, home against Chicago, bye week in Vegas. Yeah, they're they're not more than a three point underdog in any of those games. It's a pretty soft landing here, and like they'll get they'll get Justin Jefferson back, and I just. They had a few pieces that made a ton of sense to sell. Mentioned Daniel Hunter earlier, but I just, why would you? Like, at, you know, at this point. And then also, I, I, I'd be thinking to myself, if I'm Minnesota, like the Lions are probably going to win this division, but they haven't in a long time. Let's make them prove it and kind of see what happens. Uh, I like the way the Vikings are coached, not only with O'Connell, but I think Flores has done a nice job with not a whole lot of talent defensively. They play above their talent level, and maybe there's an outside shot somehow to sneak in as like a wild card in the NFC. Well, I mean, and two of their th- two of the three last games of the season are the Detroit games. They haven't played them yet. Yep. So, you know, can make up ground and tiebreakers that way. And our producer, Spencer Ray, who does a ton of podcasts throughout the network, says, you know, Minnesota dubbed this season as a competitive rebuild. So, you know, like kind of like the soft rebuild or the rolling rebuild. And yeah, I don't I don't think that they're tearing this thing down anymore. That San Francisco win was uh was absolutely massive for them. Real really quick notes. We say all this. I will also add maybe a bit of a trap game here. You know, Vikings are favored by a point and a half. Uh Green Bay, they get a little healthier. Jair Alexander's back, Devondre Campbell is back. Uh I could see this being a bit of a trap game at Lambeau Field. Do trap games happen on the road in the division against the Packers at Lambeau? Danny could be a trap game. Okay. In the sense that people like yourself are looking at this schedule thinking Minnesota might reel off eight in a row. All right. Could be a trap game. Fair enough. And short rest. 
and a short rest. Yeah, short rest. And listen, certainly a letdown after beating San Francisco. But I don't, I don't know of a ton of trap games that have happened at Lambeau. But I could be wrong. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, all right. Jacksonville, Pittsburgh. I'll put a little context behind the question. The Jags started one and two. Pittsburgh started two and two, and in week four had a 24-point loss to your Houston Texans. If anyone doesn't know Mike based out of Houston. How shocked are you that three weeks later we're sitting here and this is a huge game? More surprised on the Pittsburgh side than Jacksonville. Because Jacksonville's in a weak division. They've got a good quarterback, a lot of offensive weapons. Pittsburgh, <laughs> we harp on this a lot on Sunday. It's like smoke and mirrors. Uh, and the thing I forgot to analyze with the Rams game is like the, the missed kicks by Maher where he was put out of a job, rightfully so. So I'm much more surprised on, on the Pittsburgh side. But again, like they get Deontay Johnson back. And if they can just kind of stay in these games, and I don't feel co- that confident in Jacksonville just kind of come into Pittsburgh and run roughshod over them, then, yeah, you get into the fourth quarter. Like, Pittsburgh, in a way, like, is decently built as far as teams around their talent level if they get into a close game late because they have an elite pass rusher. They have another really good pass rusher on the other side in Highsmith. They have a defense that makes plays. And then they have some offensive playmakers like Pickens to where you just have one big play and you can come away with a win. And they have a good kicker as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i shocked by it. I thought that people were crowning Jacksonville before they had actually accomplished anything. And I love Trevor Lawrence since he was in college. I, you know, Peterson is obviously a very successful coach. The Urban Meyer thing was a disaster. They have a ton of talent. Like, I understood what everyone was seeing, but I thought saying that they were going to be a – 12 win 13 win team and I just I, I they had never they had not shown anything that, to suggest in my mind that they had accomplished that and if they win this game in Pittsburgh where they are less than a three-point favorite they will head into the bye winners of five straight games and have a bye week before they have to play San Francisco so like that- they will they will absolutely be thinking that they could be competitive with Kansas City or any team in the NFL. It's crazy to me. And if they do that, Danny, it would be five wins in a row in a situation where two games are in London back-to-back, no bye week, they play Indianapolis the week after, then they go on the road short week on a Thursday night when they beat the Saints a week ago tonight, and then they would have gone on the road again, even with the extra rest to beat Pittsburgh. Like, no buys in there, yes, a mini-buy, but to do all of that, two games in London, short week, a couple of road games, that would be pretty impressive, even if the competition is not like the top of the NFL. Yeah, but if they do that. But and like, but there like, isn't a top of the NFL. Well, there is. Is there, isn't there a top of the NFL? You don't think no, there I is? Mean, I, I, there, like, there isn't that if I, I did a power ranking one through 10 and you did a power ranking one through 10, we'd probably have eight or nine of the same teams and they would not, like, we, sh- sure, but we've just, we've seen, Every team who would be in there be vulnerable in a week-to-week situation. It does not feel like there is a juggernaut. I mean, I think everybody would have Kansas City 1 right now. Uh, I would have San Francisco 2 and give them the benefit of the doubt on they've got the best roster in the league when healthy. And then after that, do do you know who the top team right now in DVOA is? I don't know if that's a stat that you guys talk about on this. Is it Baltimore? Yes. Yeah. Might be a little weighted based on what happened last week, but yeah, it goes Baltimore, San Francisco, KC, then Buffalo, then the Lions. Yeah, I mean, Baltimore would have been my third or fourth team. Um, yeah, I I could see that. Well, we'll 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 get to them. Is they where are they? Uh, we're still coming up actually a few games for them. Maybe I'm disrespecting them in the rundown. Um, New England and Miami. Do you think New England can pull off division upsets back-to-back weeks? 
I don't know if they pull off the offset, but Danny, I look at this. I'm looking at my screen right now. The line seems too high to me. <laughs> like that, uh, maybe I'm completely overreacting, not so much on the Miami side, but what New England was able to do against Buffalo and how their offense looked. Mac Jones, they obviously have to have that pop Douglas guy on the field much more often who they liked in, in the preseason and training camp. This just seems too high of a line. Actually, not just based on how New England looked last week, but remember the, what was it, the week two game where you had that weird play with Cole Strange at the end, but New England was in that game on Sunday night in week two against Miami and Tua when they were high flying early in the season. I think this line is a little bit too high. I don't know what the deal was with Tyreek Hill this week. He was like MIA on Wednesday. Now he's back. I don't know what's going on with the hip. The nine and a half seems too high based on New England last week and week two. And they have, listen, I, I dubbed them the least watchable team in the NFL, New England. Which was fair. But then they won that game last week. And you look at it and it's like every they, – they have played two completely non-competitive games. Yes. Dallas and New Orleans. They were competitive against Miami, as you mentioned, and they were competitive against Philly in week one. Now they got down big and then came back. But that was a legit. That was a solid. That game was in doubt in the last two minutes. That was a fine performance, I thought, by New England. Yeah, I mean, the, right. They, they. I never really thought they were going to win, but they were competitive. They were coming back. It was very uncomfortable from Philly. So, is it possible that after the New Orleans game, I was too hard on them, and they actually are? a well-coached competitive, you know, the, the Judon injury, the Gonzalez injury, they've, they've, they've suffered like their, their strength of their team is supposed to be their defense early on. It looked like it was going to be, then their best players got hurt. They got blown out. Now they've adjusted a few things offensively. I still don't know why they give Zeke as many carries as they do, but like that they are going to actually be once like a, a boring seven win team that gives people fits because you're going to you know, be into a dogfight with Bill Belichick. I do think that that's back on the table right now. I think it's back on the table too. And I, I like the way that you broke it down because when you look at the Patriots season, the Cowboys, the saints, and I'll even throw the Raiders, even though they lost by four and that got close, like, like that, th- those three weeks were a catastrophe, but the first three weeks were relatively fine. When you think about their talent level, they, they lost one score games at home against two top teams, they beat the Jets, which they always do on the road. And then the Buffalo game was a great win in comeback fashion. So are they the team that played the four games, the two and two stretch, or the 0 oh and three stretch? Because the teams that played the, the two and two stretch seemed very similar to the Pats after Brady in 2020, 2021, and 2022, where it's like they're not that good. They're not that talented, especially without Judon and Gonzalez, but they're going to give you the Belichick workmanlike effort where they will not beat themselves and you could lose if you beat yourself. Yeah, I wouldn't love to bank on Miami in a survivor pool this week. Like it would just that'd be a that'd be a stay away from me. Hmm. New Orleans Indy. So this is not merely about the game, but Jim Mercer came out and was like, yep, they admitted they messed it up with the uh, with the calls that we talked about on uh on sunday yes what what if anything should be done to increase officiating accountability in the nfl this is a great question uh i would i mean so basically everybody meets with the media players meet with the media uh the coaches meet with the media the owners if they want you know i know we get a pool report once in a while but like i i want more sort of representation explanation as to what the officials were thinking on critical calls after games like that. Th- that's what I want. Um, I-, I think at times there's too much protectionism of the officials as well. Uh, I-, I don't know what the solution is. Cause like, I don't know if you have, but like I- I've read these like Peter King, like he, like he has some refs as friends and he goes through like a whole like rundown of like, listen, this is how they grade officials. Like every play is graded. They're marked up. They're marked down. Yep. This is a serious thing. Like apparently the league office goes through literally every play. They figure out what should have been called, what was called, was it good? And there's a whole system behind it. And yet it doesn't really, I guess, Danny, dovetail with what I see every single Sunday 
or Monday night or Thursday night, because I just think there are too many cripplingly bad calls in these games. But that the only thing I can think of is more more media access to the officials, <laughs> fire more of them. I don't know. All right. So I don't want to know that like like I don't want like the side judge who blows the call for his name to go viral and like him to be doxxed and people to like agree egg his house and go to his place of business because these guys aren't full time, which is an insane situation. Like I don't want that. And I think that like the Obviously, I'm a media member. I, I the Transparency, accountability, media access, I'll never argue against it. I didn't watch a ton of the XFL, but I watched some. Okay. Mike, it all up. Referee conversations on the field should be mic'd up into broadcasts. Correspondence between the ref and the booth judge should be mic'd into broadcasts. I think it's a good idea. Conversations with New York, the replay center, should be mic'd into broadcasts. We should hear the line of communication no matter where it's going. Are you getting referee assist from the guy in the sky? Cool. Let me know. Uh, where are we looking at? Do we not have a camera angle? Are we... Is this conclusive? Is it, uh, it's close, so we're going to just, like, let it stand? And I know, like, we get taught the verbiage of that from Mike Pereira. But, like, peel back the curtain on the live discussion of the entire operation. They'd have to not curse. They'd have to, you know what I mean? Like, there might be some disagreement, whatever. But then at least we would see like how the sausage is made in real time. And then we could judge, are they doing it competently? Are they doing it, Do, do it? Do does it feel like there is rationale behind these calls? And I thought in the XFL, they did that. And it was awesome. Like it just, it, it made you feel like you were watching something that like, was on the up and up as opposed to I listen I don't think that that Browns game was fixed but I could see how oh wait now you're calling this now you're calling this now you're calling like and it's going the same direction against Indy a couple of times in a row oh okay I could like I could see how you could have the grievance because you don't actually see the communication you just see the result of it so that would be my suggestion mic up everything and literally go to it live during the broadcast. This is an excellent idea that I hadn't, I I wish I had thought of before you did it. Uh, I clearly wasn't on on top of the XFL as much as I should have been. But when you think about those conversations, Danny, like they're not like proprietary confidential conversations. Like for instance, between a coach and a quarterback or an OC and like, these are just like, I imagine when they're, when they're, you know, basically in there and looking at the play and they're talking to people in New York or whoever, like they're walking through the play. There's nothing that should be really secretive about what they're doing. They're just trying to ostensibly get it, get the call. Right. Correct. It's a, and it's a rule. Like, yes. you know what I mean? It, it is a, it is a, it is a binary one or zero thing. It's it, it's not supposed to be like, proprietary or really that open to interpretation or, and obviously there is judgment on he made contact before the ball got there or whatever. And I understand that there will be errors. I'm not expecting infallibility and perfection. I just think people talk about transparency and then we're like, give me the media side, make them face the music. I'm much more interested in like, did you explain something and come to your decision truthfully and rationally not like what you say after the fact to a pool reporter when you like know that you've had a controversial call so you just hide behind the letter of the law and it's i only see it in type like you know what i mean like i I like your ideas way your idea is way better than mine And, and by the way this reminds me of one of my uh big nagging things in football and this is what i i hate this whenever there's like a really controversial call in the nfl or college and all they do when they when they speak into the microphone on the field to announce it is they just say stands as called or it's overturned. 
dude, if there's a big call that you're changing or you're keeping, I need a damn explanation. That's what I'm saying. And and then Pereira or Blandino or whomever often like they're guessing what the explanation is or they're disagreeing or they're agreeing. And now I just have another person's opinion. I want the dude who made the call. I want his rationale. Like I just, I don't know. I think, I think, I don't think it's a solve, but I think it's a huge improvement. I like Um, Casey Denver. Are you buying that Travis Kelsey performs better with Taylor Swift in attendance? Because she's in attendance, like she's the cause of it. (laughs) Yes. No, I, I do not. I do not. Although based on what the evidence is overwhelming. Is the evidence overwhelming over what a short sample size? Yeah, over the sample size of since they've been dating. Yeah. When she's at the games, he's averaging like 99 yards a game. When she's not, he's in the 40s. This is like the lamest thing I'll, I'll probably ever bring up into a microphone. But you ever have those like moments uh, or situations like high school or like early college when you're like <laughs> playing basketball with your friends and you see like a bunch of girls like come in and then you kind of like you kind of like rev it up a little bit. Yes. <laughs> so I guess I, I could see I I could see that dynamic, but I don't I don't know that it's because Taylor Swift is in attendance. I don't I di- I <laughs> I disagree. I you think disagree? I think that he has found the fountain of youth. Okay. And he is trying to show out. And she's more famous than him. She's richer than him. He she can't show up and have him get catch two balls on four targets for 27 yards and a loss. Like he's trying to impress his boo. And I think that it's working. And I think if I was Andy Reid and the Chiefs, I would be like, listen, I know you've got this international tour. Uh, and if you have to miss this game against the Broncos, we'll be fine. Yeah. But can we get you over there in Germany for the Dolphins game? And then we need to we need to book you. You know, you got to be ready to go to Vegas in February. Like she's you know, got to be at the she's she's got to be at the Germany game. I would think. She's got to be at that game. Isn't that the game that that our friend Nick Wright says that the Chiefs season begins in Germany? Is that right? Yes. Like, this is all, these are all practice games until these, then. these are all practices, and, and the real season begins in Germany in a, in a few weeks. Yeah, I I think it makes perfect sense, and for all of them, like I I think that it makes perfect sense. Like Mahomes wants to get him the ball. His wife is friends with Taylor. They're going out into the private parties afterwards. Like they don't want to be like, hey, hey, why didn't you throw my man the ball? I think I think that they are all working for Taylor Swift right now. Did you become a better talk show host when you started dating your wife? No, I've been great the whole time. I like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like it. Spencer asks if she would perform at the Arrowhead Invitational, a.k.a. the AFC Championship game. Uh, that, that's not going to happen. That'd that's, be awesome. That is not going to happen. That would be, incre- <laughs> that would be an incredible moment. Yeah. <laughs> be really good. All right. You're down in Houston. Yes. Houston, Carolina. Is it already over? Is C.J. Stroud better than Bryce Young now and forever? I don't think so. Uh, I listen. CJ has been fantastic this season, better than I expected him to be. Uh, I think probably beyond the wildest expectations of maybe people even in the Texans organization. Danny, I think people have gotten ahead of themselves in writing, seeming to write Bryce Young off. I, I think they've had some issues in Carolina. I admit they're worse than I thought they would be, considering you know they won whatever it was seven eight games last year. They were kind of on the upswing. I like some of their talent. Um, maybe Frank Reich is not good anymore. They change play callers during the bye week. I still believe in Bryce Young. The The size scares me. This is why, for instance, like if I'm debating between Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Bryce Young, I'm obviously going in the direction of Drake May, Caleb Williams, because size, all of it. But Bryce, and I, I stand by, like, I think he is a magical football player. What we saw against Texas last year, what we saw in the bowl game, like, I know it's lousy competition. And the size is going to be a limitation, but I think that limitation might make him like, I don't know, the eighth or 10th best quarterback in football, something along those lines before the ceiling hits. 
I think he is going to be okay. It's just been a very rough start. Well, so you said you'd take Drake, May, and Caleb over him. If you had to do the draft over this year, would you take Bryce Young still over C.J. Stroud? Now that – so that's really the question. Like Because, what, because I – like. I agree with basically everything you said. Like, but <laughs> he will, will like, like he looks like he needs DJ more. You know, yeah. like he yes, and, and they traded a future first round pick to get him, so it's going to be tougher for them to build around him and find him good talent. But like, Phelan has been better than I he thought has been than I and, thought he was going to be, which tells me that if Bryce Young can make the corpse of Adam Adam Thielen productive, give him real players give him a better play caller. Like I Carolina's got a stretch of games coming up here where they play winnable teams. Like they, they got the Texans this week. They got the bears in a couple of weeks. Like I, I don't expect them to be two and 15 at the end of the year. Like I, 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 I do think that they will figure some stuff out and improve a bit. I don't think they're going to be great. I think they'll probably be like a three or a four or a five win team, but well, I, I, I don't think that they are a, a shoe-in to be the worst team in the NFL. And while I would take Stroud over Bryce Young now, I think that that would be flipped and should be flipped. Uh, Bryce Young has no skill position talent around him. I would generally agree with that. And you wonder, Danny, the big question would be, your question was, is C.J. Stroud better than Bryce Young? Slight variation on that question would be, if Carolina had to do it all over again, what would they do? Because remember, when they trade up to number one, like the betting odds, the betting markets, for what it's worth or not, were all on CJ to go number one before yep. that kind of faded, but kind of like eventually down the road in that process. And I know there's been some reporting with this idea that Dave Tepper, the owner, was the guy who kind of led the, the, the charge for Bryce Young over Stroud. Yeah, Peter King told me on the show that that is not true. Okay. Or whatever. Like, I, yeah. I would just love to know the backstory on that, the true backstory. If anyone has it, which maybe they don't, but like what Reich really thought, what, you know, Thomas Brown, the OC, what Josh McCown, the quarterback coach, what they were thinking. Because I I was I, I heard Peter King with, with Mad Dog Russo or somebody in like August, and he, I think he wrote about this, like raving about how Bryce in August like completely took over an offensive meeting with McCown and was like, hey, like let me lead this meeting. And he was like terrific on the grease board, all of it. Um, it, it's been a slower start than I expected. And obviously what, what scares you is just the size behind that offensive line, what he kind of looks like physically on the field and what that ultimate limitation might be. I think Carolina might win this game, by the way, both teams coming off a bye, uh, Panthers at home, Panthers changing play callers. Maybe they reset I, the Texans, you know, are they sort of, um, I guess my question would be, are they mature enough to where, not like literally, but more figuratively, mature enough to where they've had some success, everybody likes them, people are finally talking about them for the first time in like five years in a positive way. Are they ready to business trip off a buy, go to Carolina, and get a win? We shall see. All right, let's, we got to pick up the pace a little bit here. We got five games left and we don't like going over an hour. Um, how big do you think this Tyson Bajan story is about to become? Sunday night football. How big? This is not going to be a big story. The, the Chargers will, they'll win in probably slightly unimpressive fashion. And Justin Fields will, will be back in, I don't know what the expectation is, a week, two weeks, three weeks, something like that. But Bajan's done a nice job. I think that the country is going to get all it can handle with Tyson <laughs> okay. Bajan this week. Like, I think that it is going to be pregame, main game, footage of arm wrestling, father, footage <laughs> of D2 school, list of funny colleges he played against, big time <laughs> quotes, tattoo explanations, one on one interviews with Tyson Bajant, uh, profile pieces. Like, I think it is going to be the number one, two, and three story of this game. The only thing I am shocked by is when they show the graphics, like promoting the game. Yes, it's DJ, uh, it's DJ Moore and Justin Herbert, like because no one knows what the kid looks like. But I guarantee you, DJ Moore is not how they will be selling this game 
when football night in America kicks off. I think Tyson Bajant is going to be introduced to America in a big, big way. And it wouldn't shock me at all if like he does play well, yeah. if he doesn't get some sort of like ironic sponsorship deal out of it. Like, <laughs> dude, you he, really, you've thought about this a lot. <laughs> I like the angle. It's just the type of story that America falls for. And yeah. I'm not saying like, like it, it's well, a great and, story. And NBC needs to, they need to sell this game. And I'm talking like, not even like sell like to, for you or anybody to watch the game. I'm talking about like when people watch the game, they need to like tell a story with Tariko and Collinsworth. They'll be on that. I can see this, this is good. This is going to be like the Olympics, dude. This is the oh, network okay. that carries the Olympics. Like they are going to human interest the hell out of Tyson Bajant. Quick side note. This is why my father, George Meltzer, he despises the human interest stories in the Olympics. He watches every event. He DVRs it. He hates the human interest stories. Back that's, to the main story. <laughs> that's amazing. All right. Philly and Washington. If you were a contending team, would you trade a premium draft pick, which I will define as a top 60 pick, a first or second round pick? Would you trade a premium draft pick for Chase Young? I would because I would trade a second round pick for Chase Young. Uh, this guy was great at Ohio State. He was taken over Herbert, right? He was taken over Tua. Danny, he's still 24. He turns 25. For whatever reason, it feels like it took a while to get over the torn ACL, but I think he has five sacks this season. It's a weird situation uh, in Washington. And, you know, I'm not saying this is going to be the equivalent pickup like the Rams had two years ago with Von Miller because he's not proven that way as a playoff performer. But I would because if I'm trading for him, I still think I can get the guy who was picked second overall in 2020. And if he plays well, I'll, I know I have to pay him. I'll have to pay him a bunch of money, but that's a premium position. I can add a core player if I'm trading for Chase Young. All right. I didn't know if we were going to agree. I agree. Um, I, it feels like, I mean, obviously, if you trade for him, you have to sign him. Um, and you could say, well, just wait till he becomes a free agent and then just just pay him and then you only give up the money. But it feels like he's about to go on a three or a four year run where the productivity would be like trading for, you know, the Bears had to give up multiple firsts to get Khalil Mack. Yep. You know, so if you can, if you can get him for the 45th pick in the draft <laughs> and then sign him, that's a pretty damn good deal. Do you have a team? Mm -hmm. I gotta, I gotta think about that one, but I feel like almost anybody can use a potentially premium edge pass rusher. I gotta think on a specific I, team. I, I mean, I would think Buffalo would be a team that would make some sense. Yeah, that that would make some sense given their losses on defense. Even though it's it's not up front, that would make sense just in terms of they need to add talent to that defense. Yeah, I mean, I like, like you said, he, I mean, he, he fits anywhere, but just you know, the like what, like why not? I know it's not the sexiest, but why not a team like Jacksonville, where I think Trevon Walker has been a disappointment as the number one overall pick, but yeah. a lot of teams can use a player like this. Yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah, he he'd make he'd make everyone better, uh, no question. All right, another trade angle here, a little bit of a reunion, Baltimore and Arizona. Do you think Lamar wishes that they still had Hollywood Brown? Nope. Last year, absolutely. This year, no, because I feel like Zay Flowers fills whatever role. I know they're not the exact same player, and I actually <laughs> – it's kind of a random Mike Meltzer thing. Uh, I was always against Hollywood Brown for wanting out of Baltimore because my whole thought process is like, like who the hell are you? Like you're Hollywood Brown. You The, the, the Baltimore Ravens to me are one of the – ideal like model franchises in the NFL you were playing with Lamar Jackson like you were complaining about your usage like I that that one never really made a whole lot of sense to me you're playing in Baltimore for a successful franchise with a star quarterback if you're a receiver who wants to leave that situation I have issues with you I have questions yeah I feel like he was like there for the wrong system like, for, like at the wrong time and if he was there now and Lamar would absolutely prefer him than having Odell or than having, you know, Bateman or something like that. But 
Flowers and Andrews would still be in front of him. And he's having a nice year. Like, I don't know yes. how much of the money Arizona would be willing to eat in a trade if they are trying to get worse and, you know, get back like squarely into being one of the favorites for Drake May or Caleb Williams. I think he signed like a, what, 13 something million this year. Like, so I think they'd probably have to eat some money, but I could absolutely see him being traded uh, this week. Not, not back to Baltimore, but, you know, it wouldn't shock me at all, you know, Kansas City traded for McCole Hardman. They would need some help with the financing part of it, uh, but I could, I could see, I could see him being a a very, very attractive team or a, a target for a contender. I could see that, especially based on his age. He's still, he's still very young. Yeah, and and he's a he's a game breaker. Like he he yes, it's the type of guy that is easy to fit into a system. Run deep. I mean, if, Kadar- if Kadarius Tony can swing a Super Bowl like he did last year, Hollywood Brown, I think, is that level of talent, too, with his deep speed. Exactly. Uh, all right. Similar question. Atlanta, Tennessee. Tennessee, they trade uh, Bayard, the safety. Who should trade for Derrick Henry? So the two teams that come to mind immediately would be Dallas, the Thunder and Lightning you mentioned, and then maybe Baltimore with some of their issues uh, at running back. Those are the two. I don't really have a great sense for how good Derrick Henry still is. My feeling, Danny, tell me if this is off or way off or somewhat on. I feel like he is above average, but not a not a difference maker at this stage of his career. That That's how I view him in my mind. Yeah, but I mean, I think that if you were a team that was really good and then like he's the guy who, you know, you, you need him to help salt away a win. Sure. You know, or with Pollard, it's and it's twelve carries a game, or whatever the case may be. Uh, Dallas, Baltimore, and I know I've said it. Buffalo, also. I was also just going to say Buffalo because this is another game on Thursday night where, like, James Cook played well, fourteen for sixty-seven, but it's like the whole thing. They can't, they still can't figure out the running game with Josh Allen, and Derrick Henry is such a physical presence that yeah. you feel like he can like almost literally and figuratively take something off of Josh Allen's shoulders. That that would be a decent fit, I think. Yeah, and it, it I now do think it's going to happen. Oh, I think so too. They they you want to talk about teams that are like in bad shape moving forward <laughs> in the AFC uh long term like the Raiders, the Patriots to an extent, Tennessee as well. I don't know what the hell this business is. I know it's aside from your question, but like this idea they're gonna rotate Will Levis and <laughs> and Malik Willis. Like what the why would you do such a thing? What what is the point of that? You're, you're gonna do that and feed them to Ryan Nielsen's defense who's done a great job in Atlanta this season. Yeah, I don't know. It's like the old old Sean Salisbury thing. Like, you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Like What are you doing? You drafted one of these guys. Play him and see if he's any good. I have no idea why this isn't a Will Levis spot. Makes no sense. I have a like I have a 10 second question for you. It's 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 very random, but it's it's on point on this game. Did you have any issue with Mike Vrabel as the coach of the Titans being up in the booth with the crafts last week when he was inducted into like the Patriots Ring of Honor? I had zero issue with it. I feel the same way. I was just curious. Okay, yeah, no, good aside. (laughs) All right, I don't know what your fandom is like these days. Yeah. Uh, but- I'll tell you what my fandom was. My fandom is with the Jets. Uh, when Aaron Rodgers got hurt, I was more devastated than I thought I would be for like a couple days. But honestly, it's not because I'm thinking like, oh, they lost a the chance for a Super Bowl because it's so damn hard. But because I have had the longest time as a football fan watching lousy quarterback play. And I think you of all people can relate to this. And so I'm sitting there on that Tuesday. Like I just wanted to watch Aaron Rodgers play football every Sunday for my football team. That's what I want. That's what they robbed me of. Now I get to watch JJ McCarthy on Saturday. So I feel good about that. Even with the sign stealing, that's what I'm still bitter about. I am generally into this game. And I think there's a lot more pressure by the way, Danny on the jets than the Giants to win this game. That's what I'm intrigued by on Okay, Sunday. well, so the only thing that I – because the question was going to be, can you sell me on anything about this game? The only thing that I could think of is, if you believe that Aaron Rodgers is coming back, the Jets need to continue to keep their head above water so that if they can squeak in as a wild card team, he can play meaningful games at the end of the year. But, like, 
fine. That's for the possibility that the 40-year-old is going to come back from the Achilles injury in season. But this game, I have zero interest in watching this game. What 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 intrigues you? Uh I, I think that this is not a national TV game. It's a it's a one o'clock Eastern game on Sunday. The Jets have been a very entertaining team to watch, Danny. I think it's fair to say on the national TV games that they've had, the Bills game, the Chiefs game, the Eagles game have been well. The Eagles game was a was like a late window shown to the nation. They've been entertaining. I would say what I look at this game is if the Jets are like the Browns, as I have posited on this on this podcast, first and pod then they have a certain formula they have to win. The running game, the defense. The Jets kind of ultimately last year, like Zach Wilson started going really awry after the bye week. They had the bye week. I think the Jets, with the talent they have on defense and with Brees Hall, have enough raw talent to make the playoffs. If they do that, they have to win this game. There is not a path for the, path for the Jets to make the playoffs in the AFC if they lose to the Giants even if it's technically a road game with Tyrod Taylor quarterback. This is probably past due at this stage, but given that there's been some noticeable improvements the last three games, if Zach Wilson has any hope of like being a quarterback with the Jets with whatever happens next season with Rodgers, he needs to continue the improvements and win this football game. Like he needs to continue to get better. I have significant doubts, but his Upswing or downfall, I think, begins with this football game. This man is good at his job. You can hear him on Mad Dog Sports Radio. He's a lawyer in the state of Texas. During COVID, when you considered taking up yoga, he passed the bar in California just because he could. He's a good man and thorough. He is our friend. He is Mike Meltzer. Thank you for uh, sitting in for Pony on First and Pod, man. You did not have to do it. We gave you absolutely nothing for doing it. And uh, whenever you come to Chicago next, you know, dinner on me. I appreciate it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, Danny. Thank you to Mike Meltzer. Thank you to Spencer Ray. Pony is back after Bears, Chargers, a.k.a. the Tyson Bajan Show. Talk to you on Sunday night. First and pod. Peace.